When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Books Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 65, and we are recording on January 24th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Howdy doody. Hello. We have triumphed over numerous technical difficulties. Hopefully we have triumphed. <laughs> I, maybe I should knock on wood when I say that. Um, <laughs> We're going to do our best. Yeah. Or hopefully everything goes smoothly. Uh, so welcome to the show. If you haven't listened to it before, we are, as I said, a reading recommendations podcast, which means that you send us questions and we answer them. And the questions can be anything from what do I get my great aunt for her birthday? She loves Agatha Christie to I just finished Harry Potter and I don't know what to read next to my nephew is graduating from college and I want to get him a book on feminism. Like you send us the questions and we will answer them. Uh, you can send them to us either by email to the get booked at bookriot.com email address. You can submit them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes uh, on the website for every uh, show. There's a post, has show notes at the bottom. No, wait, it has show notes in the middle. <laughs> and then there's a form at the bottom that you can submit questions for us. Uh, if you have a time-sensitive question and you need the answer by a certain date, please do mention that at the top of the form or in the subject line of your email, and we will do our best to get to it on time. I'm also sending email responses to folks whose questions have already been asked, uh, so we don't repeat questions too often or make you wait till it cycles through again. Or if you have like a super tight turnaround, I will try to get to it by email as well. I think that is all of the... Housekeeping, right? Did I do all of that? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to, I'm going to read our first question, and then Amanda is going to tell us about our first sponsor, and then we will give our recommendations. So our first question is from Bianca, who says, it's been a pretty rough time for my family. We're very close-knit, and unfortunately, we recently lost one of my cousins. My aunt and uncle are devastated, of course, and we all want to be there for them. My uncle is a very big reader. We always discuss books with each other. With a loss of his daughter via sickness, addiction. I'd like to offer him a book as a sort of understanding or maybe even a temporary escape. He mostly enjoys James Patterson novels, mysteries, and such. Uh, I'd prefer something related to what he's going through, but something that will be easy on him and not too tough to get through. It's a difficult situation, as you might imagine. We are so sorry to hear that, uh, and we definitely have recommendations for you. But first, Amanda. Okay, so our first sponsor is uh, Perfect Little World by Kevin Wilson. And I'm really excited about this because this is his next book after The Family Fang, which was such a big bestseller and is so funny and entertaining. If you haven't read The Family Fang, you should go read it. Um, so this new book, Perfect Little World, uh, is dealing with the question of, like, what would your life be like if you could pick your own family. So the main character's name is Izzy. She's invited to join what's called the Infinite Family Project, which is a study that's trying to find out what would happen if 10 kids were raised collectively without knowing who their biological parents were. So it's an attempt at this kind of like utopian ideal. It starts off promising, but soon the the like equilibrium that exists among all of these 
families that have been assigned uh, completely disintegrates. There are resentments between the couples that start to fester. The funding for the project becomes kind of tenuous. And then Izzy, the main character, she discovers that she's got kind of feelings that are growing for one of the scientists that's running the study. And so that makes her question whether or not she should be participating in the first place. So it's a really compassionate and funny and thought-provoking novel about a really kind of daring utopian experiment in community and parenting. Uh, Anne Patchett, excuse me, uh, who, of course, all of you know Anne Patchett, is a best-selling author. She also owns Parnassus Bookstore in Tennessee. Uh, She recommended it on the Parnassus blog and said it was the book I'd recommend for anyone who might feel like dropping out of society and taking refuge in a utopian science project, which I gotta say, yes. <laughs> I do feel like dropping out of society and taking refuge in a utopian science project. As a I mean, who doesn't right now? <laughs> for realsies. For realsies. Um, three days in or whatever, and I'm already like, nope, all done. <laughs> anyway, so that's Perfect Little World by Kevin Wilson. Uh, it's out from Echo. That's the publisher. So go check it out. And thank you for sponsoring the show. All right. Do you want to keep going or should I go first? Sure. Yeah, I'll go. Um, Okay. So I picked two different, entirely different books for this. Um, I picked one that was like escapist, sort of James Patterson-y, and then one that is more directly related to what your uncle is um, going through. So the first one is The Born Identity by Robert Ludlum. I don't feel like I need to explain the plot of The Born Identity because it's like super famous with the Matt Damon movies, but the books are actually way different um, from the Matt Damon movies. Uh, like, the love interest in the first Born Identity movie is, like, that's not at all what's happening in the book. Anyway, it's I, this is not, like, a treatise about the difference between the books and the movies. But they're thrillers, they're escapists, um, they're page-turners. They're, I feel like they're actually, like, a lot of fun. Uh, the main, like, the 50,000-foot view of the plot, if you haven't seen the movies, is uh, Jason Bourne wakes up one day with amnesia. He doesn't remember where he is, uh, how he got there, who he is, um, anything about his past except he realizes that he's got, like, $4 million in a bank account in Switzerland, and someone's trying to kill him. Also, he knows how to, like, um, escape detection, and he knows all of these very uh, dangerous ways to kill people, and he's kind of probably an assassin or a spy or something. I don't know. Who knows? He doesn't know. Um, So it's, you know, discovering the mystery of who this guy is, um, what happened to him, how he ended up losing his memory. There's a bunch of, like, conspiracy stuff going on. So it's just a lot of fun, and you get really drawn into the world and everything that's going on in it. So it's The Born Identity by Robert Ludlum. Of course, it's like this huge, long series. Um, so he can stay in that world for as long as he wants, basically. Uh, I also picked a mystery for my first one. It's The Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith, who, as we know, is J.K. Rowling. Um, I picked this one because not only is it a good mystery, like a really solid start to a good mystery series, but it's got kind of some things in common with the situation you described. Um, The detective, Cormoran Strike, is hired by a very, like, posh upper-class man, um, because this all takes place in England, uh, to um, investigate the suicide, well, the death of his sister, who was a supermodel and was potentially troubled, and the police have ruled it a suicide, but the brother is like, I think there's something else that went on. So uh, Strike starts investigating. And it's not, like, literally it's nothing to do with your situation, like, other than that it has a resemblance in just the vaguest details. But I thought kind of coming at those feelings in a very roundabout way while also, like, having a murder mystery might be helpful. I don't know. It might 
it feels like it would be a little bit connected, like connected enough to maybe open a channel for some conversation, but not so on the nose as to be really hard to read um, because really it has nothing to do with what your situation is. So beyond that, like very superficial uh, similarity. So that is my pick for you, The Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith. Okay, my second one is um, about the the situation that he's dealing with, and it's Blue Nights by Joan Didion. Uh, Joan Didion is a super famous nonfiction writer. She wrote A Year of Magical Thinking, which is about the death of her husband, the unexpected death of her husband, and then two years later, her daughter died. Her daughter's name was Quintana. Um, She was in her late 30s or early 40s, I think, when she died. She had acute uh, pancreatitis, um, was in the hospital, went into a coma, and then died. So Joan lost her husband, and then two years later, her daughter. Um, Quintana was adopted, so there's a lot in this book about her, the process uh, her and her husband went through to adopt her, um, and then her childhood, you know, growing up in Joan and her husband were pretty wealthy, so the, like, privileged life that her daughter had in comparison to the life that she had before she was adopted, um, and then some mental illnesses that her daughter was dealing with. There, the thing about this book is is that it's so it's so human because Joan mentions that her daughter had a drinking problem and then that she dies of pancreatitis so it's kind of obvious that her daughter maybe was an alcoholic and possibly drank herself to death but there's no mention of that at all like Joan just glosses kind of right over it um, which is understandable coming from a mother who's lost a child so I think that there'll be a lot here that your father can relate to but her language is really simple it's not histrionic it's not um, like sackcloth and ashes weepy it's obviously sad and she's in mourning and it's about grief but I don't think it's too much for someone who's gone through a similar situation um, to read I think it will be comforting to to read about somebody who has experienced those same sort of feelings Uh, so that's Blue Nights by Joan Didion similarly uh, my second pick is directly about grief it's The Long Goodbye by Megan O'Rourke which I read a while back and really loved Um, she so the story of this is it's sort of a memoir Um, the author's mother died of cancer at the age of 55 and uh, the author is just like really not ready for how she was going to feel about it Um, and so she it's kind of like her trying to cope with her own grief but then it's also very much about how her family reacts and comes together and since you mentioned how close your family is I thought maybe somebody talking about how their family dealt with grief might be a good opening Um, so I don't know if it will be to like it's Megan's a poet and I don't think her language is complicated, but it's definitely like on the more literary side as opposed to the more, um, you know, straightforward side. I am describing this badly. I don't think it's not (laughs) straightforward. I just think it's like, you know, she's, she is, um, her sentences are maybe complex and like, I don't think you're any, anybody would have any trouble reading it, but I don't know if it would be intimidating to somebody who's not used to reading these kinds of books. So take a look at it and see if you think it might be a good fit. Um, but I think that like the contents are very relevant and might be very helpful. So that is the long goodbye by Megan O'Rourke. Okay. Uh, question two. This is from Amanda. She says it's the beginning of the year and I want to set some lofty bookish goals for 2017. Well, I was discussing this with a friend. 
She expressed interest in reading more also, which means we're going to start a book club. We've decided to only read books that have been adapted into movies and then watch the movie together. The biggest challenge I'm facing in selecting books is finding ones I think both of us will like. My friend is not interested in reading anything in the science fiction or fantasy genres or anything too violent. I'm open to anything except Nicholas Sparks. We both love visual artists, we love food, and enjoy period dramas and offbeat indie graphic novels. We've both read and loved Julia's chi- uh, Julia Child's My Life in France, watched all possible Jane Austen adaptations, and have picked Atonement as our first read. I would appreciate any recs you have for us, bonus if it's a graphic novel. Okay, <clears throat> so my I'll just keep going. My first pick for you is Ghost World by Daniel Clues, which uh, Clues Clues. I'm gonna go with Clues, uh, which is an offbeat indie graphic novel. It's from a while ago. It was published in the late '90s, and then was made into a movie with Thora Birch and Scarlett Johansson and Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Ah, uh, Steve Buscemi. His, his face just makes me laugh. I love him so I know, much. his face. <laughs> like, I don't know. He's just forever making, like, a what's wrong with you facial expression in my head whenever I, I picture him, which mm-hmm. is just great. Um, so Ghost World is about two teenage girls, Thora Birch and Scarlett Johansson in the movie, who are obviously much younger when this movie was made, um, who have just graduated from high school, so they're, like, 18, and they don't know what they want to do with their lives. They don't... Um, have any, like, real concept of the, what their future's going to hold, what their friendship is going to be like in the future, if they want to go off to college, that sort of thing. So, um, and they're also kind of quirky, weird. So, the, the, the I'm trying to say this, what you mean? They're, like, super negative. They're very judgmental characters. Um, and when I read this in my late teens, I related to it a lot, so that tells you something about what I was like as a teenager. Unsurprisingly, probably. Um, and so, in the in the graphic novel, it it's kind of unconnected vignettes of them just, like, living their life and figuring out what they want to do with themselves and meeting strangers and interacting with new people and being snarky at them. Um, there is some, like, character development, and they do come to realizations about themselves and their future, so it's not just, like, you know, a hundred pages of annoying, angry teenage girls, although that is definitely a big part of it. Uh, and then the movie I also really liked. It doesn't follow the graphic novel exactly. Steve Buscemi's character in the graphic novel isn't as um, prevalent, but it's still really entertaining, and there's a lot to talk about. Um, so that is Ghost World by Daniel Close. I mean, I don't even know. Um, I, I just did, spelled I, it wrong when I wrote it. <laughs> I definitely forgot that Scarlett Johansson was in the movie, which I have seen. I definitely forgot that it was her, though. I remember I Laura Birch. Oh, man. Anyway, okay. That's bringing me back. Um, mm. My first pick for you guys is nonfiction, which you didn't ask for, but this is such a good pairing. Um, it's Hidden Figures by Margot Lee Shetterly, and obviously the movie has just come out. I am reading the book right now, and I love it. It's so good. It's so interesting. Uh, so as you might know from the buzz about the movie, um, it's about four... Well, so the movie focuses on four African-American women who were mathematicians at NASA, um, but, and helped like calculate the, you know, things, the math necessary for, for, to put men on the moon. Um, so it, it, but more, the book is actually a little bit more broad ranging than that. Like there's a lot of women that it talks about because it turns out that NASA, like during World War II and then directly after was so desperate for mathematicians to help with the planes um, for the war effort that they had, like, two giant warehouses full of women who were called computers, because this was for before computers, um, who did all of the calculations. So, like, and one wing was the white women, and one wing was the black women, and uh, because segregation, obviously. Um, and so... 
this is about the women who started out in that like giant warehouse, just like running calculations and then gradually became integrated into engineering teams and were just hugely influential from the get go on like making planes safer and making planes faster and like breaking the sound barrier and putting men on the moon and all of those things. Um, And the thing I'm loving about reading the book is that it really goes into these women's lives from like, basically, well, it's a little bit of childhood, but basically college on. Like, how did they get to where they took the NASA job in the first place? Uh, How did they, like, what did they think, you know, what was their goal in taking the job? Like, who were they at home? Um, Because all of them, you know, were basically wives and mothers who had done other things and then had this opportunity. Um, And it's a lot about how, uh, like, especially the highly educated black classes were trying to find their place in American society um, during and after World War II. So it's just a fascinating piece of, like, when you talk about period history, like, this is a very interesting time period, I think. Um, And the women are fascinating, and the peek into their personal lives is great, and then what they did professionally is just amazing and astonishing, especially for me, who is, like, not that great with numbers (laughs) personally. So I'm just really loving it. And then I haven't seen the movie yet, but I'm like really excited to go see it as soon as I have a minute uh, because my January has just been bananas. So that, again, the book is also called Hidden Figures and it's by Margot Lee Shutterly. Co-signed. I'm going to see it tomorrow. Yeah, I'm so excited. And I read the book and it's awesome. So good, right? Um, yeah, and it takes place like where I grew up, and oh, I didn't right. know. I was thinking a- that, yeah, yeah. Any of this stuff, like the the history of segregation in Hampton Roads, is like I, I was not taught any of that. And uh, I mean, obviously, it was a segregated area. It's Virginia, but it was still like, oh, oh, I've been to that beach. Ew, Ugh. it was just like really. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Okay, so uh, my second pick is, um, since you said you like Julia Child, it's Julie and Julia by Julie Powell. I just said the word Julie like so many times. Um, which was made into a movie of the same name, Julie and Julia, uh, where Meryl Streep plays Julia Child. And I think won some awards for that, because she's Meryl Streep, and of course she did. So the book is based on Julie Powell's blog, which was kind of like a stunt memoir bloggy type thing where she spent 365 days cooking her way through Julia Child's um, Mastering the Art of French Cooking cookbook. And uh, so she did this for a year. Um, And then the book is uh, like a combination of her memoir of like doing that, what that experience was like, and then also portions about Julia Child and her life and where she got the ideas for these recipes and, like, the process that she had to go through to translate all these fresh French recipes into English and all that sort of thing, and, like, how the book Mastering the Art of French Cooking came to be. Um, so it's part memoir, part history, uh, lots of food, writing. It's really, really yummy. The The most interesting part of this book to me was, like, the, ju- the juxtaposition between Julie Powell and Julia Child, because Julia Child is this, like, fascinating woman who had this very, very strong and committed marriage. She, like, worked... She was, like, a spy (laughs) for a while, and then she kind of invented the American version of French cooking. And then Julie Powell was kind of a train wreck. She worked as a secretary. She was very unhappy. Her marriage was falling apart. And she tried to kind of save herself by sort of latching on to the work and life of Julia Child. So it's just a really, like interesting look at, like, this very happy and innovative woman compared to this other woman who's, like, just falling apart. Um, and then finding a way to piece herself back together through French French food, which has a lot of butter in it. Always piece <laughs> yourself together with butter. 
Obviously. So that's Julie and Julia uh, by Julie Powell. The movie is also really great and sweet, and I love it. Nice. All right. For your graphic novel uh, loves, I give you The Complete Persepolis by Marjane Satrapi. Um, They made a movie out of this, and they really stuck very close from what I could see. I actually haven't seen the movie, um, but I've seen the trailers, and they stuck really close to the animation style, which is, or rather, the animation style stuck very close to the illustration style of the original graphic novel. Uh, And it's just, I I mean, this memoir is a must-read. So it's a graphic memoir about growing up in Tehran during the Islamic Revolution. Um, Marjane was sent to Austria, I believe, uh, to go to boarding school when things got very bad um, because her family was uh, sort of, you know, educated and liberal. And then there was this really intense crackdown um, and they wanted her out of the country. So she went to boarding school um, and like really struggled there. Uh, I mean, had like ended up on the streets at one point, um, like didn't know how to cook for herself. So just ate like vats of pasta, uh, just really had a hard time, like figuring out who, how to live in the world. Um, and then she goes back to see her family at certain points in the novel. And it's just, it's just amazing. Um, we, I read this with a group for one of my graphic novel book groups and it was a really great discussion. So there's a lot to talk about. Um, and some of it is just really good to know historically. Like this was not a thing I knew a lot about, uh, before reading the book. So I thought it was, you know, it was really interesting and educational for that perspective to look at like the politics and the religious upheaval that went on. Um, and then it's also just a really lovely memoir about being a person growing up in a tumultuous time period. So I think there'd be a ton to talk about. And then the movie, it would be really interesting to see how well it captures the essence of the book. So that is The Complete Persepolis by Marjane Satrapi. Oh, and it's me still. Okay. Uh, so our next question does not have a name. It's from Anonymous. Uh, the question is... I would like to get book recommendations on romantic comedy series like Julia Ken's Shopping for a Billionaire series. I'm not opposed to paranormal or... uh, Uh, She lists a bunch of authors. uh, Sherilyn Kenyon... Karen Marie Moaning, Lindsay Sands, Carolyn Sparks, and let's not forget Sarah McLean. Let's never forget Sarah McLean. (laughs) Are there any series that are laugh-out-loud funny? I have listened to all your podcasts, and I have a whopping list of books. But apart from ones you previously mentioned, any new ones... All right. Uh, Why don't you talk for a minute, Amanda? Okay. So my first recommendation is Her uh, Her Halloween Treat by Tiffany Rice, which is the first in a series called um, Men at Work. (laughs) Uh, And they're, as as far as I can tell, they're all holiday-related. Obviously, Her Halloween Treat is about Halloween. Her Naughty Holiday is the second one. There's one called One Hot December. I'm sure you can imagine what that one's about. Uh, And all the heroes are, like, working class. Uh, So they're getting away a little bit from the billionaire trope, um, which is nice. And so Her Halloween Treat is the only one in the series that I've read, but I loved it, and it is so funny. Tiffany Rice writes banter, which is like my favorite part of any romance novel, better than anybody. It's it's just the banteriest. There's a lot of physical humor, like, uh, you know, people falling down, which I still find funny because I'm five years old. Um, but maybe maybe that's not everybody's bag. But the banter will make up for the falling down, and falling down is not a thing you're into. Um, so in this book, the main character's name is Joey. She's just, she lives in Hawaii, but she's just found out that her boyfriend, uh, who she's been dating for two years, who commutes to, like, between L.A. and Hawaii, I mean, yeah, um, is actually married. And so she runs off to her family's cabin in Oregon, where she's from, 
um, for her brother's wedding and to, like, just get away from her life for a couple of weeks and recover and figure out what she wants to do. Uh, and then when she gets to the cabin, it's been totally redone and, like, looks amazing and is beautiful and is not run down or gross like she remembers. And um, she finds out that a guy named Chris, who was her brother's best friend growing up, is now a carpenter and has completely redone this cabin and several others in the area and is actually starting a um, like a cabin rental business with her brother. And so the two of them, you know, sparks fly between the two of them. Um, and since they have all this history together because they grew up with each other, they have um, there's a lot of, like instant intimacy and instant ease that makes the joking really like kind of sweet and entertaining it's um on like a heat scale it's pretty dirty so if you like your books a little more innocent this is maybe not the one for you but it's super super funny and i like it a lot so that's her halloween treat by tiffany rice and the series is called men at work all right my first series for you is the Catherine kitty cat series the heroine's <laughs> name is Catherine cat because because romance novels and her <laughs> and, and novels. her nickname is Kitty, so she's literally she is Kitty Cat. Um, and the first ser- the book in the series is touched by an alien. And if that title doesn't immediately make you laugh, like I don't know what to do for you, um, Ginny Koch Koch. I don't know how to say her last name, is the author. And I heard about this at, like, a cocktail party and immediately went and, like, somebody – I was talking about romance with somebody. I'm like, oh, my God, have you heard about this, like, Men in Black Aliens romance series? And I was like, what? No. Um so, yeah, so Kitty is a marketing manager um, who is, like, finishing jury duty and walks out of the courthouse in Arizona or New Mexico or wherever the heck she is, and there's a fight, um, and then suddenly the man in the fight turns into, like, a giant winged monster, and she kills it. She, like, she kills it, um, just sort of by instinct, because it turns out that her background is not what you might expect for somebody who's, like, a marketing manager, um, and I don't want to, like give away why she's awesome right from the get-go because there's like some minor spoilers for the book but anyway it, she ends up becoming drafted into the secret organization that's job is to fight evil aliens um and it is so goofy and fun <laughs> i just really enjoyed the heck out of this and i have the next two and i haven't gotten around to them but like they're like i'm saving them for like the worst day when i'm like i just need to laugh i'm saving them for that um Yeah, it's very odd and fun, and I kind of don't want to say more specifics because I feel like it will ruin, like, the laugh-out-loud surprises, but I was laughing out loud as I read (laughs) this book. It's it's just, like, like if the idea of Men in Black plus, like, a romance novel, you know, tropes appeals to you, definitely pick this up. So that's Touched by an Alien by Jenny Koch. Okay, uh, my next one is Alice Clayton's Cocktail Series, which um, uh, the first book is called Wallbanger, and it has the best cover of any romance novel that you have ever seen in your life. Um, the second one is called Rusty Nail. The third one is called Screwdriver. So you're getting you're getting what's happening here. Um, and they are just as punny and kind of corny and goofy and fun as the names would su- suggest. They're all contemporaries. They take place uh, mostly in San Francisco and areas around California. Um, and like all, all the characters are kind of semi-connected. So in the first one, Wallbanger, um, it's about a girl who moves into a new apartment. She works for an interior design firm. And then her neighbor turns out to be kind of a jerk who has like really horribly loud and obnoxious sex up against the wall of the, that they share. Um, between their two bedrooms as so if she goes to confront him and then uh turns out he's not 
that much of a jerk, matter of fact, and, you know, Spark's fine, it's like a frenemies to love sort of a thing. Um, but it's it's a, it's a very romantic comedy-ish, so there's a lot of situational comedies, the two characters get in a lot of awkward situations that are laugh-out-loud hilarious. The banter's also really, really good. I did, um, I did make kind of a fool of myself laughing while holding this book with the cover, which is great. I can't even explain it to you, because explaining it out loud is the worst. So just go look it up. It's, it's a great cover. Um, and yeah. And so that's like, I don't want to spoil it. So go read it. <laughs> so that's Wallbangers, the first one. It's the cocktail series by Alice Clayton. Pretty much everything she's written. She's got a couple other series and they're all like that. They're all really funny. Um, Kate Hudson should be in all of them. You know what I'm saying? Like that kind of romantic comedy situational stuff that I just really like. All right. I am going to half recommend two things right now because I just had a thought. Okay, so my my actual recommendation that I wrote down for you is How the Duke Was Won, which is the first book in the Disgraceful Duke series of which the second one is now out. They're by Lenora Bell. And I did laugh out loud on the train reading this book. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a Regency series, as you might guess, from Disgraceful Dukes. Uh, and it's uh, the first one follows James, which who is like, he's cultivated an a very bad boy image um, among England society, but not in like the rakish way per se. It's more of like, he is not expected to have good manners and he's not expected to like behave properly because he spent all of his life in, Oh gosh, I want to say it's like the Caribbean or something. He has a chocolate plantation somewhere. Um, and he's like spent most of his time on the islands and not in England. Um, but he's in England now cause he needs to get married. And so, uh, because he needs a business arrangement that like the, the dude for whatever, you know, crazy Regency reason, like he has to get married before he can finalize his business arrangement. So he holds basically like a bachelorette style, like invites a bunch of well-bred women and their mothers to his estate, to try to pick one to marry. Um, and in the meantime, there's like an identity swap because one of the women invited is actually out of the country, but has a half sister that who has not been acknowledged, who, who, whose mother is a prostitute and who like lives in, you know, a brothel, but is not a prostitute herself. Um, but she looks a lot like her other half sister. So the, you know, the other mother comes in and is like, I need you to pretend to be my daughter. And if you land this Duke for her, I will pay whatever it takes to get you and your mother and like family out of this brothel situation. So of course she does it. And like, it really is so funny. I just, it's not like a straightforward farce, like the next series I'm going to like mention. Um, but I just, there's so much good situational comedy. Um, Charlene, who's the one who's pretending to be a lady has been trained to deal with like drunk Johns. So at one point she like flips the Duke over her shoulder, um, to like, cause she, he's pretending to be a footman for whatever reason. I mean, there's all kinds of like ridiculous situations in here. Um, and it's really smart. And the other thing that I love about this series is that the other women who are at this, you know, bachelorette style thingy could have been very flat and one dimensional and kind of like boring, but Belle goes out of her way to make them interesting characters with backstories too, which lends to the humor of the piece. It's really, really well done. Uh, so that is how the Duke was won, which is the first in the disgraceful Duke series by Lenora Bell. And then I wanted to give a quick shout out to Kieran Kramer's Regencies because they are, like, if you enjoy a good farcical 
story and you also want Regency, the Impossible Bachelor series is the series. The first one is called When Harry Met Molly. The second one is called Dukes to the Left of Me, Princes to the Right. Like they're all very, um, there's Cloudy with a Chance of Marriage, which is my favorite because it has a bookseller character in it. Um, They are so ridiculous like every time you think the plot can't get any more ridiculous like oh look it just did um (laughs) and they're just really they're just really fun and silly so that is also a good option so that's the kieran kramer impossible bachelor series and i will stop talking now (laughs) okay uh question four looks like i did not write down the name for this person sorry about that okay um so this person says i'm traveling to new orleans the last week of january and wanted some engrossing reads to put me in a nola state of mind it's a magical and atmospheric city and i'm someone who enjoys sci-fi fantasy and magical realism i'm sure we've all read and enjoyed and rice at some point in our lives but i'm looking for more than that i recently read orleans and loved it okay so in an Anne ricey sort of th- feeling vain but different hot vein <laughs> I'm sorry, I just made a vampire pun on accident, Um, is Halfway to the Grave by Janine Frost, which is the first book in the Night Huntress series. Um, So this is almost kind of like darker than Anne Rice, if that's possible, because her books are pretty dark. So, But it's a paranormal fantasy romance. Um, The main character's name is Kat. She's half vampire. Her mother um, was raped by a vampire, and so cat is herself half vampire and she's um kind of carrying the like shame and pain of that of her mother's rape with her and so in order to try to alleviate that pain and shame she spends most of her free time hunting and killing vampires she's done this since she was 16 um and she uses her like sexuality as bait she picks them up and then slays them essentially um and so one night she gets she meets a, a very blonde and imposing vampire and does her thing, like, picks him up and is going to slay him and all that stuff. But then she's knocked out and wakes up chained up in a dungeon somewhere with the guy asking her who she works for. And then come to find out his name is Bones. He's a, also a vampire, but he's a bounty hunter and doesn't actually have any, like, allegiance toward his own kind. Um, and so she explains, Kat explains what she's been doing, why she was stalked, like, hunting him and all that and the reasons behind it. And so he makes her a deal that he will help her find her father, who is the vampire, obviously, that, you know, raped her mom. Um, And in exchange, she will work with him, and she will be the bait that he uses in his bounty hunting. Um, And so the two of them have, uh, you know, sparks fly, romantic relationship, and all that. Um, But it's also, uh, um, New Orleans is very much a character here, like the backdrop. Um, It's, like, dark and swampy and and all of that and it's a really really long series and there's also a lot of ebook novella additions to it so if you want to pick this up and you like it and you want to keep going it's a good idea to check the um janine frost the author her her um her website or the goodreads page for the series because it's got a recommended reading order with all the other additional ebook novellas like stuck in there where they go because it can be a little bit confusing so that's night huntress is the name of the series the first book is halfway to the grave all right, my first pick for you is Voodoo Dreams by Jewel Parker Rhodes, which, oh no, I lost my notes on it. Um, it's about <laughs> Marie Laveau. Hold, please. Uh, um, and I read it a few years back. Oh yeah, there it is. Um, and really enjoyed it. It is, so Jewel Parker Rhodes is a woman of color. Um, and it, uh, so in that sense, it's an own voices book. Um, and it came out in like, yeah, 95. So it was kind of before, I mean, I guess it was post 
uh, Anne Rice, but like pre all of the like Vampire um, Diaries, for example, which has like a bunch of New Orleans stuff in in it. Anyway, um, it is uh, it is a story of Marie Laveau who becomes like this, you know, sort of queen of voodoo in New Orleans, and it was a very I liked it a lot because it all it. It, it relied a lot on character as well as plot. Like it wasn't just about like all of the supernatural stuff. It was also about like the, the lives of these characters and where they, you know, where they walked in the city when they went out of their door in the morning and how they interact, interacted with each other. And I just remember it being so dreamy and as- atmospheric um, and also really gripping. Like I read it cover to cover in just, I think a day or two. Um, so it's been a minute since I read it. So some of the finer plot points are lost on to my brain but I remember really enjoying it and I think it would definitely fit the bill for what you're looking for so that is Voodoo Dreams by Jewel Parker Rhodes all right my next pick is nonfiction because I thought reading you know some nonfiction about the place would be interesting so it's Nine Lives it's by Dan Baum um Dan Baum is a journalist he's a staff writer for the New Yorker and he went to New Orleans after Katrina to write about the city's response um to the storm. And while he was there, he talked to all kinds of different people and realized that like Katrina is not, despite what he thought when he went down there, Katrina is not the um, beginning and end of new Orleans. And it is not the most interesting thing even about the city. Um, So he changed what he was writing a little bit and instead uh, used nine, the lives of nine different people. I mean like characters, quote unquote, but they're like real people uh, to tell the history and the story of new Orleans from about the 60s um, until uh, the storm, uh, until Katrina. And so he's following a lot of really, like, it's an intersectional group of people that he's picked here. There's a teacher, a cop, um, an owner of a bar, uh, and one of, like, the richer members of the old gentry, um, like a housewife, just kind of regular, normal people in, in, uh, in New Orleans. And through the stories that they tell, you get a real picture of the spirit of... New Orleans, everything from like the poverty to um, violence, Mardi Gras, that like the racial inequalities, politicians who were like exceptionally crooked, but also the good, uh, you know, the music scene and the food and uh, why people stay through all of that kind of thing when there's all when that like looming threat of a really destructive storm is not a thing that they're unaware of, like the people who live there know that that's a thing that could always happen. Um, so why they stay there is, uh, you know, like a big question. And so he is telling you all about that. So it's like... Um, both a, hi- a look at the history of the city, but also a look at like the people and what keeps them there and what keeps tourists coming back and all of that sort of thing. So that's Nine Lives. The subtitle is Death and Life in New Orleans, and it's by Dan Baum. All right. My second pick is a New Orleans classic. You may have already read it, but since you were talking specifically about sci-fi fantasy and magical realism, I thought maybe you hadn't, um, but I think you would enjoy it anyway. It's A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole, and I picked it in particular because I know from our good friend Rebecca's visit that there's like a Confederacy of Dunces bike ride, I think, that takes (laughs) you through New Orleans, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, there's tours connected to the book, which would be super fun to do while you're down there. Um, But yeah, so it's about you know Ignatius J. Riley. It's like I would call it uh, humorous surrealism, perhaps is how I would call it. Um, it's about a, he's a thirty year old like sort of layabout who you know lives with his mom and kind of does nothing. Um, I mean, he thinks he's doing things, but he's not really doing anything. And then he has to get a job through a series of ridiculous circumstances, which then become more ridiculous circumstances as he tries to get and keep a job. Uh, And there's a lot of really great characters. There's a lot of just really excellent 
ridiculousness. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's just a really, it's a, it is a classic of New Orleans and, uh, it seems like if you're going to be there, it's a good time to read it. So that is a Confederacy of of Dunces by John Kennedy Mm -hmm. Toole. I can talk today. I swear doing great okay before we get to our fifth question we're gonna do our second sponsor which is actually us this is just a giveaway i wanted to tell you guys about so i don't know if it's even necessarily like a sponsorship but anyway so this week's mailbag giveaway which is a a bi-weekly giveaway that we do where we like pick out interesting books from our book mail to give to you is an all romance edition so we're giving away a, a, a haul i guess of 10 romance novels um in order to celebrate the launch of our new romance newsletter which is called kissing books which is just the greatest name for a newsletter um our resident romance expert just pride is going to be writing it it's a bi-weekly newsletter it's going to include everything from like news from the world of romance adaptation news book recommendations for backlist which are you know uh, older books new release updates and and lots and lots of really interesting and great stuff. So I will leave a link in the show notes for you to go and enter the giveaway. To enter the giveaway, you just sign up for the newsletter. If you've already signed up for it, you can sign up for it again. You'll you'll still only get it once, but we do want you to be able to sign up for it more than once. And this um, giveaway is a col- it's a combination of books from my book mail and then just some romance novels that I personally really like. Um, so Wallbanger, which I talked about on the show a few minutes ago, is in there. So is The Magpie Lord by K.J. Charles, which I've also recommended on this show before, which is a Victorian uh, gay romance with a mystery and a supernatural twist. Uh, Daughters of a Nation is in there, which is an amazing romance anthology uh, about black suffragette characters. Uh, there are four different stories. Um, they're all black suffragettes, and it's just so, so good. Uh, Hold Me, which I'm pretty sure I've talked about before, too, is in there. Courtney Milan, Nalini Singh has a book in there. Tiffany Rice uh, also does. Reckless in Texas is in there if you're looking for, like, a contemporary cowboy uh, thing. Anyway, you can see the whole haul at the link uh, in the show notes. And so do enter. Sign up for the giveaway and uh, sign up for the newsletter. It's going to be great. Okay. What? what? going to be awesome. Yeah. I have already signed up for that newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> Jess is so great. She's so knowledgeable and like her her backlist knowledge is infinite, mm-hmm. which is handy. So anyway. True story. Mm-hmm. All right. Our next question is from Carrie from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I have been there. Um, it's Sue says, uh, let's see. I'm a planner and want to plan my books for the 2017 Read Harder Challenge. I only have two categories left that I need some recommendations for. One, read a book in which a character of color goes on a spiritual journey. Two, read a book wherein all POV characters are people of color. Uh, so I have been... I somehow, like, it wasn't planned, but I have managed to read a whole lot of nonfiction in starting out my 2017. And as I was thinking about this challenge, I was like, wouldn't it be interesting to recommend nonfiction for it? Because there's a bunch of great novels, most of which we have already talked about too many times on the show for me to recommend. Um, But there's also a lot of good nonfiction that would uh, fit these um, categories. So I picked you some nonfiction. So for my first one, which, uh, this is the last time I'm allowed to recommend this book on the show. It's my grandfather would have shot me by Jennifer Teague, which is such an amazing memoir. Um, really intense. So it's about, so Jennifer Teague discovers when she's in her thirties that she is the granddaughter of the brutal Nazi commandant from Schindler's, from who's like shown in Schindler's list, like that guy, she is his granddaughter, which she didn't know because she is adopted. Um, and she knows her birth mother, but her birth mother who is white has never talked much about her family to her. Um, so 
All she really knows is that, like, her mother's family is German, and that's basically it. Um, And so she's in her, actually, late 30s, married with children when she stumbles across a book about her grandfather and, like, sees her mother listed as the daughter of this man. And so she just undergoes this incredible personal breakdown um, because she had no idea. And she's like, it's shocking to her for many reasons, not least of which is that she's been to Israel and she has a lot of Jewish friends. And now she feels like she's lied to all of her friends for her whole life, even though she had no idea. So the book is about her trying to come to terms with what it means to have this biological connection with a war criminal um, and how that affects her life as it is now and how it affects, you know, her relationship with her birth mother and all of those things, Um, how it might change her relationship with her adoptive parents. Like, how it changes her relationships with her friends. Like, it's a really intense journey, a uh, personal journey that she undergoes to get there. And the there's alternating chapters in here. She co-wrote it with um, Carolyn, no, Nicola Selmeyer, who is talking about the generation gap in Germany and, like, how the survivors talk or don't talk about it to the younger generations about World War II. So it's a really amazing book um, to begin with, and then I think it really fits this category quite nicely. So that's My Grandfather Would Have Shot Me by Jennifer Teague. Okay. Um, My first one, uh, for the first question, a book in which a character of color goes on a spiritual journey is maybe a little on the nose, but that's okay. Uh, It's Siddhartha by Herman Hess, which I read in high school um, and really, really enjoyed. So it's about a young man who grows up in India, and he's born into a wealthy and successful family. Um, and he's kind of just not happy. So he's he's very smart and talented, and he's kind of a golden son sort of character. Um, and he just like is not finding any finding any satisfaction in the life that he's living. Um, so he leaves and pursues a spiritual path. Uh, meets up with some aesthetics, does some you know self deprivation, asceticism kind of stuff, um, and decides that that is also not the path for him. So then he gives up on that and moves on. And um, then he like meets meets other characters that take him down different paths. He meets a courtesan who teaches him all about sex and lust. He meets a businessman who teaches him, you know, all about trade. He becomes really successful. And that eventually devolves into this life of like debauchery and greed and money. Um, and but while he's living this life here, he is keeping all of his religious training, you know, like close to his heart. And so he realizes that this isn't actually making him happy either. So he leaves that again. And then he like spends a bunch of time by a river um, and becomes, I think he becomes a ferryman or some sort of he works some sort of job on the water. Um, he encounters the Buddha. So the character Siddhartha is like a, a contemporary of the Buddha um, and realizes that the two extremes that he traveled and that he's spent most of his life living, um, neither one will make you happy. And so he uh, comes to this kind of state of enlightenment where he gives up on living a life of like debauched lust and like gluttony and greed and all of that. But at the same time, accepting that um, it's okay to, like, want things sometimes and that asceticism isn't the answer either. So it's really just about the spiritual path of one person realizing that, like, extremes and fundamentalist interpretations of any way of life are probably not, you know, the way to any kind of enlightened state of being. So it's it's just, it's, like, really, really interesting. It's very philosophical. There's lots to chew on. Um, so that's Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. 
All right, my second pick for you is an essay collection um, for the all POV characters or people of color. It's The Fire This Time, which is edited by Jessamyn Ward. And this essay collection, I think, is so essential uh, in terms of reading. Um, I think I finished it right before the end of 2016 and was just, like, blown away. Um, so what the concept of the essay collection is is that it's um, a response to James Baldwin's essay, The Fire Next Time. Um, it's been about 50 years years since he wrote it. And uh, Jasmine Ward, who is an amazing author who you should read, uh, decided to collect um, essays, um, some uh, like pieces on memoir, um, some poems about race in America. And so she like went out and found all of these incre- incredible contributors. Um, some of whom we've recommended on the show before. Akiese Lyman has a piece in here. Daniel Jose Older has a piece. Like, there's just a ton of incredible uh, writers in this collection, and they're all addressing directly um, race in America. So it's not light reading, but it is really, really good, uh, really, really amazing. Um, Claudia Rankin is in there, Mitchell S. Jackson. I mean, the contributor list is just... Oh, Edwidge Dondekat. Like I, like I, every time I read it over again, I'm like, oh my gosh, and that one too. They're just so, so good. Um, so I think that it, like, it's a really good fit for this if you're looking for nonfiction picks. Um, and just, yeah, really, really essential reading. So that is The Fire This Time, edited by Jasmine Ward. Okay. Um, my, my, uh, let's see. The second question was, uh, read a book where all the POV characters are people of color. Okay. So my pick for that one was Eve out of her ruins. It's by Ananda Devi and it's translated by Jeffrey Zuckerman. Um, and this is such a fascinating little book. It's like 160 pages. Um, and it takes place on the Island of Mauritius. And I honestly don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, Meridius. It's it's like this tiny little island off the coast of Africa in the Indian Ocean, and it's one of those you know like Bali looking sort of places, like very tropical. But in reality, if you go like five feet off your resort, you're in like this desperate poverty kind of thing. Um, and so Ananda Devi is from that island, and so the book is told from the point of view of four. Uh, kids, basically, they're like teenagers, older teenagers in high school, um, who are dealing with their life of poverty and violence uh, on this tropical paradise kind of island. So the main character, uh, well, there are four main characters, there are four POV characters, but the one, the titular one, Eve, um, is this like beautiful girl who everyone wants, who has nothing. She comes from the very poor family. Her father beats her. And so she's realized what she looks like. And so she uses her body in exchange for like goods and services from men to like stay safe and to get what she wants from them and to kind of survive. So she's taught herself that this is what she needs to do to make it and get off this island. Um, and then another one of the main characters is her best friend. And the two of them are actually in love with each other, but that's like wholly unacceptable to their families and their society. And the two other main characters are boys, one of whom is a poet who's in love with Eve. And the other one is his best friend who is, um, He's, like, in a gang. He's got a lot of anger issues. He's been in and out of juvenile detention. Um, So they go on about their lives and their struggles for a while in the book, and then um, something really awful and violent happens, um, and you are dealing with, like, the overflow of tension from that event. Um, So it's a tough read, like, all the trigger warnings. In 160 pages, Debbie packs a lot of pain into it, but it's so essential and, like, just a really great piece of feminist fiction um, about a place that I have not only never been to, but did not even realize existed, this this island. So, like, f- fiction from there is just... It was a really eye-opening reading experience for me. Um, so that's Eve Out of Her Ruins by Ananda Devi. All right. 
Oh, it's uh, me. It's you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Last question. This is from Aaron. She says, my boyfriend has ADHD and it runs in his family. His dad and sister are also, have also been diagnosed. It's pretty likely that if we have a kid, he or she will have ADHD also. I'd like to know more about it, but I have a hard time Googling books that aren't straight up textbooks. All right. You have more for this. So you I go do. first. <laughs> so I uh, was lucky enough to get Rex on this from Stephanie slash Book of War uh, on Twitter, who um, was happy to talk with me about it, who herself has ADHD. Um, and she has a bunch of Rex. I'm actually going to forward along her full descriptions because they're really detailed and helpful, I think. Um, but, uh, for the purposes of the show, um, the first book she recommends is driven to distraction. Well, it's a pair of books driven, driven to distraction and delivered from distraction by Edward Hallowell and John Rady. Um, she says that these two are the classics and with good reason. Um, they have updated them a few times. Like if you are familiar with the ADD, ADHD conversation, these books have been out for a while, but they do keep updating them. Um, and she says that driven is more about ADHD generally, whereas delivered has more actionable advice. Um, but even just their explanation of the brain physiology uh, between ADHD is worth the price of admission. So definitely classics to add to your library. Um, so those are driven to distraction and delivered from distraction by Edward Hallowell and John Rady. Okay. Oh, hold on. Sorry. Oh. Uh, I like have your... to sneeze and it's not oh. happening. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, it's not happening. All right. So that was weird. I'm sorry, guys. Strange <laughs> interlude. I thought I like muted myself because I was sure I was going to sneeze and then it just wasn't coming. Okay. Um, so my pick for you is ADHD According to Zoe, The Real Deal on Relationships, Finding Your Focus and Finding Your Keys, which is a great title. Uh, it's by Zoe Kessler. And this is about being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, um, which tends to be, and I did not know this, but it's more common for women. Boys get diagnosed um, fairly early in life because of the kind of stereotypical gender behavior that we expect from them. They bounce off the walls. They're very energetic and be slightly destructive. Um, and so we're like faster to put that diagnosis down on a boy. But girls, they're like, you know, spacey sort of daydreaminess, which might actually be ADHD, is t tends to just be chalked up to like, oh, she's just sweet and, you know, that sort of thing. So she talks a lot about that. And then... Um, she eventually realizes in her adult, like I think in her 40s, that something is not right with her ability to hold uh, her attention on anything. So she gets diagnosed and the book is a memoir about, it's usually, it's like chapters are embarrassing things that she's done before her diagnosis, before she learned how to manage her ADHD um, and before she was taking medication for it. And then like the thing that she learned about herself via that embarrassing situation. Um, so there's stuff in there about how like her impulsive behavior has affected her love life, how her disorganization has gotten in the way of her career. She can't land a job or keep a job. Um, inattentiveness causes a lot of challenges in her personal relationships, that sort of thing. Um, but she also talks about coping strategies that she's found as an adult that have been helpful for her. And the thing, um, she does not, like, poo-poo medical help uh, for ADHD, which I thought was really nice. Because uh, that can, you know, in some of these memoirs, some of memoirs that I have read about dealing or coping with some various forms of mental illness, there, there can sometimes be like a thread of medication is for whatever, like you can do it. Like, no, don't do that. So she does not do that, which I appreciate. So that's ADHD according to Zoe, uh, Zoe by Zoe Kessler. 
All right. The second pick from Stephanie is, you mean I'm not lazy, stupid, or crazy by (laughs) Kate Kelly. Um, She's recommending this one because she says, this is really for adults with ADHD. ADHD is not really about kids, but apparently... um, Her partner has always been very supportive, but she says it wasn't until she asked him to read the first chapter of this book that he really got it. Um, And so this might help give you a shared language to talk about the various issues and like a lot of, and it gives a lot of practical advice um, for like couples, like when one of the couple has ADHD, which is your situation. Um, So, you know, it's a really helpful book in terms of giving, um, a baseline for the two of you moving forward. Uh, So that is You Mean I'm Not Lazy, Stupid, or Crazy by Kate Kelly. And then she also recommends uh, an ADHD weekly newsletter, which is free and sent by children and adults with ADHD, um, and the acronym is C-H-A-D-D, and I will leave a link uh, to that in the show notes. And that's our show. We did it. All right. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Um, If you would like to rate us on iTunes, we would be very grateful. It helps other people find the show, and we always love to see feedback. You can find us on social media. Um, Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson on Twitter, and I'm Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL on Twitters. Um, And thank you so much to our sponsors, and we will see you next time. Bye.